The sports world has been greening itself for most of the century, but despite these efforts, most fans have no idea. That changes now. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. Hosted by Lou Blaustein, Green Sports Pod highlights the successes, challenges, and opportunities to green the games we love to watch and play, and give you the chance to hear from the athletes who are taking positive environmental actions. Learn more and subscribe to the show today at greensportsblog.com. Hi there, I'm Lou Blaustein, and welcome to Episode 9 of Green Sports Pod. I've wanted to have Kunal Merchant on the show for months now. The main reason is that he is an expert about the increasingly busy and important intersection of environmental justice, social justice, racial justice, and sports. So let's jump right in. Kunal, before we get to your thoughts about environmental justice and sports, please give our listeners a sense about how you got to that intersection and what you do there. It was always intuitive to see the intersection between goals we might have on the environmental side and then the need to address these long-standing issues of racial injustice. And so for me, this is this amazing intersection of a lot of things I care about. I'm passionate about sports. I'm passionate about the environment. I'm passionate about racial equity. And so I have been in the world of the Green Sports Alliance for probably 10 years, and I joined the board about three or four years ago. And very intentionally, a big goal of mine in joining the board was to try to push the envelope on how we talked about environmental justice specifically within the green sports context. There's so many amazing facets to green sports over the years that we have incorporated, but we have a blind spot. We don't talk about the impact of sports teams and venues and the industry on frontline communities, which are predominantly communities of color. There's a lack of diversity, frankly, in the, in the overall conversation about green sports which is ironic given how much diversity there is on the playing field and in the athletic community. And so this is early stages of a really exciting movement, but we've made really great progress in little time since I've joined the board. And it's great to talk to you a bit about sports and environmental justice. And I think that last year at the Philadelphia Green Sports Alliance Summit was the first time, it was an aha moment for me, who had been going to summits since 2013, GSAs, to see a panel where environmental justice and climate justice was the focus. And you were the moderator of that panel. And can you talk a little bit about how that came to be and what you thought of it from being on the stage? Sure. That was probably one of the highlights of all the work I've done in this field because of how validating it was to see it happen and then it be successful. So I had been pushing since I joined the board to say, hey, let's add this to the conversation at an upcoming summit. And I think it took, I don't remember exactly, but the first year I was nudging the summit towards it, there, there wasn't real estate in the agenda for it. And so I started earlier in 2019 and we had a new executive director, Roger McClendon, and a couple other folks who understood that this was something I really wanted to do. And I gave me carte blanche to try to put together a panel. And I wanted to do something that was different than anything we've done before at the Green Sports Alliance summits. And we, we were able to bring together real deep subject matter experts like Mustafa Santiago Ali, who was one of the founding fathers or founding originators of the modern environmental justice movement, dating back to his work in the White House in the 90s in the EPA, to local experts on the ground. We had a gentleman from Philadelphia who did a lot of amazing environmental justice work, 
We have the athlete piece. We had a guy named Connor Barwin, a former NFL player who was really looking at safe spaces for kids to play in frontline communities. And then my favorite person we got was a young man named Nehemiah Vaughn, who was, I believe at the time, 19 years old, young man from Oakland, who had been very athletically gifted as a kid, but he lived in a neighborhood that had a tremendous amount of pollution. And like a lot of his peers, he got asthma because of the poor air quality that inhibited his ability to move ahead as an athlete. He's inhibited to his talents as a musical artist, and he had put together in partnership with Green For All, a really cool environmental group, a rap song that was talking about the need to address environmental justice. And that caught my eye. We were able to fly him out to Philly. He was the superstar of the panel. He was the superstar of the whole summit. Yeah. Sitting up there, you have your questions. I've experienced in that piece, so you know you can run people through a conversation. But it was just so new and different and welcomed. Like I'm sitting there on the stage, you see the crowd, everybody's into it, which is hard to do in a modern summit, right? Everybody has a, a cell phone in front of them that can easily distract you. But we had rapt attention from everyone. And what was really validating to me was I was very much trying to make this conversation something that everybody could participate in and we meet everybody where they are. There's some people who when you hear things like environmental justice and racial equity and all these words, it's very natural. And there's other folks that's either new language to them or it's frankly scary language. They worry that there's something that they're going to be attacked for, whether that's real or not. But the reality is everybody can relate to this issue and this affects all of us. And it was really, I think, validating to have the panel. It ended up being rated one of the most favorably of all the things we did last year. And it was clear there was a tremendous amount of energy to continue this conversation. So I think we really struck a nerve by doing that. And then you fast forward nearly a year later, we've seen all the energy that's emerged just in the last couple of months around more candid conversations about racial equity and structural injustices. We have a new wind of the sails of what we're trying to do here. It's really exciting. With that in mind, just if you could give the listeners just a quick, as you see it, definition of environmental justice, climate justice, because some people may be coming into this new as well. Sure. So there's many definitions, but I think oversimplified, it's about looking at the ways that we organize ourselves in society where there is an inequity in how environmental impacts are felt by people who are more vulnerable than the others. So Everybody knows this, whether you know the language or not. Just think about a time you were looking for a house or a place to live or renting an apartment, and you checked out different places, and there was the place that was right next to the highway, or it was a place that if you looked out the window, you could kind of see a kind of industrial-looking center, or you're looking at the disclosures of some place that you might think want to buy, and you're looking at some of the issues with soil or water in the area. The environment is everywhere. But not everybody gets a fair shake at deciding how much of the exposures they get. And environmental justice is about being honest about how we make decisions in society that have disproportionately negative impacts on predominantly lower income and predominantly people of color and on environmental issues. So if you look at the data, if you look at trends across history, there is a disturbing pattern of deciding that the necessary evils of running a community, like a power plant or some industrial plants, for some reason, they always end up seeming to get located in places that have less political power and less money, that wealthy people don't have to worry about living across the street from places that might contaminate the air, water, and soil, but low-income people do. Or even if the power plant was there first or the industrial center was there first, 
the way we organize our land use policies and our political policies, the only people who the people who end up living there are people who are shut out of other places to live. Oversimplified environmental justice is being honest about how on these range of issues that we talk about in sustainability, there's an inequity in how lower income people, people of color and other vulnerable populations are disproportionately absorbing the externalities of how we run our world on an environmental scale. And in a manifest in air pollution, you see that lower income populations have lower air quality, and that's outdoor air quality and indoor air quality because of the materials or the you know, negligent landlords. It's the quality of soil, it's the quality of water. I think Flint, Michigan is the bumper sticker for environmental justice that we allowed in modern American society for an entire community to be poisoned by its water supply. That wasn't a wealthy community. That wasn't a community that had a lot of political power or has been you know, rewarded by the way we, we organize society. So that's what all this environmental justice stuff is about. And for me, I think it's relevant to sports because sports has gotten really good over the last few years at embracing itself for being green, right? You can't build an arena anymore or a stadium anymore without some consideration of sustainability. Like, so we've won that battle. Once upon a time, nobody did this. And now we've at least raised the bar where all these facilities have to have a position on lead certification and waste aversion, recycling, solar, all these things. That's fantastic progress. But we haven't done that yet on the issue of environmental justice. And for me, it's not enough to, it's great if you have more renewable energy, if you're using low flow toilets, if you're composting, that's all great. But if the way you've organized your venue or your team is creating negative environmental impacts down the street to low income and vulnerable populations, then you haven't really fulfilled your mission of being green. And we need to, that piece needs to be part of the puzzle in a way that it's not right. Sticking on this topic, about at the end of July, I think I saw an article that you and Mustafa Santiago Ali co-wrote that was in Bloomberg Law, and it was laser focused on environmental justice. It was a great piece. It went right into the issue of the newly renamed arena, Climate Pledge Arena, which Amazon bought the naming rights to. It's the formerly key arena in Seattle now going to be the new home of the Seattle Kraken, the expansion team in the NHL, and the Seattle Storm of the WNBA. And they are not naming it Amazon Arena, they're naming it Climate Pledge Arena, which is this great thing from a branding and putting climate out there into the sports ether. And I wrote about it as well, just about the story, but you guys delved into it and said it wasn't enough. Mm Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, on the whole, the everybody in our world who woke up that day and read about that, we were all pleasantly surprised. We were excited to see a really innovative naming rights partnership that would really put climate pledge or climate at the front. So there's a lot of tremendously positive things that they're doing. But I remember reading the press release, looking through the website, and I had my fingers crossed. I said, I know... If these guys are, you know, really want to be innovative, they're going to go beyond just the tech in the building. And they did it. And it wasn't a complete surprise because that's sort of the mentality of the whole industry. And it is groundbreaking in a lot of ways, but it wasn't groundbreaking enough for us, Mustafa and me, on this issue. And so we wanted to push the conversation forward, which is not to say this is bad. It's not. There's phenomenally positive things that could potentially happen as a result of everything that they've done on the project. 
but it isn't enough. And it just got to the core of what we're trying to do, which is you can't take a victory lap on green if you're not talking about environmental justice in sports, period. It is no longer okay to ignore this issue, particularly in light of all the stuff we just talked about in terms of earlier in the year. It was an inflection point for the country in June where it was no longer enough to not be racist. You had to be anti-racist. That being quiet and silent is its own form of being complicit whether your intentions are good or not. And I do think that cascades into how we think about green sports. So if you want to be green in sports in 2020 and beyond, you cannot be silent on the issue of environmental justice. And we thought that was especially true in Seattle, of all cities, which has an incredible tradition of activism and so many of the movements that are now permitting the entire country have really strong centers in Seattle. So we thought, one, at the time this this uh, announcement is being made, you have a lot of activists in the streets fighting for racial justice. And then two, if you actually look at the data on Seattle, it has some significant environmental justice issues. It's the ninth worst city in America for air pollution. And there's significant populations that have asthma issues, kidney issues, cancer issues, etc. Sacrifice zones, as you guys call them. That's right. Sacrifice zones. So if you want to be Seattle's green sports champion, that's terrific, but you can't ignore that anymore. That's what we need to do. It's no longer okay to just be silent on this. It's just, this has to be part of the conversation. So one of the things I really liked in the piece is that you and Mustafa really dug deep and came up with three, four, maybe five action items that Amazon, the Seattle Kraken, and the owner of the building could take to act on environmental justice. And can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, absolutely. So I love poetry, but I like to move in prose. And so it's neat to highlight the fact that environmental justice needs to be a part of this agenda, but let's really get into the details of what that means. And we came up with five specific strategies that we recommended. The first one was to conduct what we call the climate justice audit, just to go through the team, the venue and corporate partner operations, including Amazon, by to see how are your activities and your operations either positively or more likely negatively impacting these frontline communities and sacrifice zones. Be honest, hire the right people to come in and look at that. Where are your operations? Who are your partners? How are your workers moving, your equipment moving in ways that could have be exacerbating some of these conditions? The second is to form and fund, not just partner, but really fund authentic collaborative partnerships with local frontline leaders. So in Seattle, the Kraken are blessed with what I imagine to be an incredibly rich ecosystem of grassroots groups that look at climate issues. Seattle, again, is one of the great activism centers of the entire country. There's incredibly smart, capable people and leaders in Seattle who they should be partnering with on these issues. I don't expect the president of a hockey team to be an expert on environmental justice or the head of corporate partnerships. That's not realistic. But there are people in the community who are. And what can you do with all the heat and light and visibility to fund them and advance them? I mean, the same way, it's a different kind of partnership, but we really think that that would be important. The third piece is your internal diversity, equity, and inclusion policies. Because you said a minute ago how the 1.0 version of green didn't include environmental justice. And you're right. I would argue it didn't have to be that way. But the reason it ended up that way is that as all of us, and I'll put myself in there too, was around the table talking about what 1.0 green sports is, 
my guess is there weren't a whole lot of people from frontline communities in the room. And so that was our blind spot. We didn't think about that the way we should have. But if you had more folks in positions of influence at the table, eating at the table, who come from these experiences, it will be in the conversation. So we need to have more diversity, equity, and inclusion in the hiring, not just at certain positions, but up and down the ladder, horizontally, vertically, vertically and diagonally, because it's just going to make you think more. I guarantee you, I don't know what the senior leadership team looks like for any of the organizations we talked about, but I bet if they had more individuals who had lived experiences growing up in communities beset by environmental justice issues, it would have been more likely that that would have been part of the plan. So we pushed them to think that way as well. And I think that's a critical piece. The fourth thing was a community advisory council. So they, they set these goals. The press release is awesome. I've been there. I've worked for a team. What's going to happen two years, three years, five years, eight years? Are you really going to follow through? What data are you going to put out? What goals are you going to set and meet? Have other people at the table that are going to push you once the ribbon cutting and the confetti's over to really knock this through. And then the last one is just leverage your incredible marketing and visibility platforms. This is frankly the easiest one, I think, where you have athletes, you have, I mean, they have some of the best and most capable leaders in the professional sports industry attached to this project, but you have Amazon, you have Oakview, NHL. These are huge, highly respected organizations with a lot of reach. All those players, all those people can be a platform to raise and elevate the dialogue around environmental justice issues. Use that platform. It doesn't cost you anything. It's just about the will to do it and to educate people. How was the article received? Have you talked to Amazon or the principals involved there? So yes. So first of all, it was really well received. I got a lot of feedback by email and on social media from people who kind of felt it it struck a nerve. Again, we didn't plan it this way, but again, in this zeitgeist, in this moment where we're having another moment of reckoning around race in, in America, it struck a nerve at the right time. People care about climate. COVID has elevated that. And then you have people understanding and, and talking about race at a, at a different level than before. So we got a lot of really positive feedback. A lot of people who want to kind of work with us. And among the people who reached out was Amazon. I want to respect the nature of those conversations, but that's a win of some kind that they reached out to us and they want to explore ways to collaborate. That is fantastic. You mentioned athletes and I've started this nonprofit, Eco Athletes, and the idea of empowering and coaching athletes to be able to speak confidently on climate change. And I believe a great way to get them into speaking about climate change is to get them engaged on environmental justice, climate justice. Where do you see athletes fitting into this mosaic? And I think they're critical on a couple of elements. I think one is they're the most compelling voices at the table, right? There's all of us in the sports industry who are active and leading in our own ways, but there's nothing more compelling than the, than the men and women in the arena literally, right? And so when an athlete speaks with the kind of visibility and respect and credibility they have, it just has a different impact. And so generally speaking, we're seeing more and more from the absolute elite athletes like LeBron James to folks that are probably in the leagues for one or two years, a greater comfort in taking positions on social issues or politically controversial issues, even more than we saw even 10, 15, 20 years ago, which is really exciting. And so Encouraging that more and more in ways that are authentic to people is really powerful. At the same token, a lot of these athletes, again, have the lived experience. So there are many athletes who grew up in frontline communities and 
they have direct experience. And the interesting thing about that is they may not always know on first blush that they therefore are lived experience in environmental justice. Like the education and the language that we use around this topic, it applies to everybody. I was talking to somebody the other day, they didn't know it. They were a housekeeper and then an administrative assistant. And this is a woman in the West Oak, incredible woman for years. And then all of a sudden, in one of the houses that she was cleaning, she was the, the man who owned it, had all these environmental magazines. She, she sort of started reading them as she was doing the house cleaning and started to connect dots that her son had asthma. And then within a couple of years, two more of her kids had asthma. And then down the street, all these folks had asthma and there was a tremendous amount of pollution. And so she, in her own way, connected the dots about what environmental justice is. There's lots of athletes who come up from communities where a lot of the adverse environmental impacts that we talk about affected them, affected their relatives, their friends, their neighbors. And so once you help them understand how that connects to this bigger puzzle of issues and then how they can have a role in addressing those issues, but then also educating people, it's really powerful because personal stories and narratives are always the best way to get people on board with something. Yeah, and what we're finding is that a lot of athletes that I've talked to just in interviewing them for a green sports blog don't feel so comfortable talking about the environmental issues, especially climate, because it's science and they're not scientists. And I'm like, don't worry about that. You don't have to be a scientist. If the science was going to solve it, we would have solved this problem by now. It's people who have, you've all been touched by climate change. You've all been touched by environmental degradation. And then we talk about that and they're, and I'm like, okay, now you're talking about it. And flipping that switch, maybe it's not so easy as flipping that switch, just getting, oh yes, now I see it. I 100% agree with everything you said, but you also touched upon another thing, which is the self-imposed barriers created by the sustainability community. If we're being honest, the room of people who have historically been environmentalists or in these conversations doesn't look a whole lot or as much as it should like these frontline communities. There has been a divide and it is intimidating. And I this, this I could give you examples from 20 years ago in college and places where I saw the connections between the environmental issues and the racial and the socioeconomic issues, but it, it wasn't articulated that way. And it felt like that was somebody else's issue that like, forests and oceans. Like, I don't know, that's not my neighborhood. That's not what I'm focused on. This is the perception that was perpetuated. And there wasn't enough effort made by the people who were leading these movements to make themselves accessible and inclusive to uh, more people. And so to me, the environmental justice conversation is also a lever to do that, that I want the Green Sports Alliance Summit. I want the community people talking about green sports. I want the community talking about environmentalism over a period of time to be more diverse, to be more inclusive, to have more people who represent the vulnerable frontline communities that are affected by this. Because that's, by the way, also critical to the climate change conversation. Just we really want to get big. People who are going to be disproportionately affected and probably most quickly affected are not adequately represented in the corridors of power in these conversations. And that's a problem because we don't want to wait. It's just like COVID. We don't want to wait until things are exponentially getting bad to get in front of it. You need to look at those early warning signs. So it's an incumbent upon everybody and it's in everybody's self-interest to remove those barriers, to allow more people into the room and to take aggressive steps to make that happen. Don't just let it and hope that it happens or there's a couple of us in the corner trying to do it. Everybody who's listening to this blog 
everybody who cares about green, everybody who cares about green sports needs to be asking themselves, what am I doing to pull more people into this conversation that need to be heard and empowered and to collaborate with? And how do you see this scaling up? Yeah, it's a great question. So I don't have the blueprint figured out in my head completely, but I have intuitions. So I think one is to leverage the platforms that already exist. So this is kind of a niche issue, right? We're talking green plus sports plus racial justice issues. But there's a really strong and passionate group of people, albeit small, that gets it right now. So let's let's get in the room together and talk more. So talking to you, I'm having conversations every week with more people. I was just talking to a professor two days ago who's really trying to look at this issue. We need to huddle with each other and start building out what we think the strategy is more broadly. I think there's a strategy around venues. There's a strategy around advocacy and policy, about marketing and public education, etc. There's different pieces to this puzzle. I think this fall, we're going to do a panel at the Virtual Green Sports Alliance Summit, which will be a step towards really articulating what that playbook or roadmap would look like. But the best ideas are going to come from just getting more and more people in the room. This is not a top-down strategy. This is a bottom-up one where we get you just want to invite as many different people in the room who have different ideas and see what happens. And I, I think we'll make good progress over time. But more specifically, it's also about identifying opportunities to create best practices that then can be replicated, which is really where my head is at. As a consultant who gets hired by sports teams and athletes and leagues, where can I create a demonstration project? That's what we tried to do in Sacramento, right? On a different plane. We tried to develop a downtown arena that had a public-private partnership where the public really got a legit return on its investment in, in an array of economic and community indicators. So now I'm doing a lot of work in Oakland with the Oakland A's. They're trying to build a new waterfront ballpark. It sits adjacent to an environmental justice community, and they are showing a lot of courage to their credit in trying to make the fight for environmental justice integral to their overall strategy, not only for the ballpark, but the team as a whole, my hope is that that work, if we can do it right, becomes a proof point to show that it's okay for sports teams to engage on this issue. It makes business sense to do it, and it makes social impact sense to do it. And this is how other places around the country can replicate it. I think public-private partnership is a huge way to get towards scale. I think also that as you're building that groundswell, building the grassroots, then Amazon is already showing interest. They called you, right? But other companies that will have to walk the walk if they want to talk the talk to people who are engaged will want to reach that engaged populace because it's a massive market for them, but they have to walk the walk. And then the other part that I think we in the green sports movement don't engage enough is the media. And okay, we're I'm a niche media, green sports blog, green sports pod, but I'm talking about ESPN, Sky Sports, whatever the equivalents are in the other countries. They all talk about how green they are. NBC, green is universal. Well, when are they <laughs> we need to we need to bring them into Green Sports Alliance summits so that this is not just a cutesy thing, but this is part of their their broadcast license has to include, hey, we need to talk about environmental justice. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a carrot and stick approach. It's a movement building approach. Once upon a time, nobody talked about green. And then we started to have conversations about green. 
And then everybody was talking about green. And then we had this issue where the risk of greenwashing, right? Someone does a couple of things that makes it look like they're being sustainable. And I think Amazon in particular is vulnerable to some of that, right? As great as it is that they are elevating climate in the name of this hockey arena and paying the naming rights to do so, their business practices are enormous. And there's probably any number of ways where they could be doing either less harm or more good on these issues. We need to have those conversations. It's not easy and it's hard to know when do you celebrate the progress people are making versus be strategically unimpressed because there's so much more to go to keep your leverage, right? These are hard debates to make, but on the whole, my hope is that we, by harping on this issue and trying to be honest but inclusive, we just raise the bar, raise the bar, raise the bar, where over time it just becomes standard. Remember, 10, 15 years ago, people would roll their eyes about incorporating certain green features into arena. That's crazy. It's going to cost so much money. There's no way we can do that. And then now it's just done as a matter of fact thing. Because if you get over the hump and enough people get in there, you start to get innovation. People figure out new and better and more efficient ways to do it. To be clear, the social justice, environmental justice pieces of this puzzle, I think, are much more difficult. As hard as it is to build a green arena, which has taken us some time to get good at, It is infinitely more difficult to try to take on these huge social issues that are decades, if not centuries in the making, where you can't really wrap your hands around it the same way you can an arena. But that doesn't mean you can't and shouldn't get involved. You have to. And we have to figure out the right role of sports in that. Sports, the metaphor, sports is all about doing hard stuff. This is the thing that I've always been amazed at when, in my experience in the green sports world, where it's, oh, it's too costly, it's too this, it's too that. Wait a minute. Sports is survive in advance. Sports is, unfortunately, the Patriots coming back from 28-3 down in the (laughs) Super Bowl. That's right. You know, sports is doing the impossible. And this isn't impossible. It's hard. It's hard, but it ain't impossible. Everything is impossible until it's not. That's right. And you get there by building a movement. You get there by bringing everybody to the table and being persistent and tenacious. So yeah, there's so many values in sports that apply to the fight for the climate more broadly. And I'm very confident. I think as difficult as this year has been to see the people in the streets, not just in the big metro cities, but rural towns, people standing up on issues of racial justice, people who are connecting the dots on how COVID is a sneak preview of even more calamitous future states around climate if we really don't get our act together immediately. I think this could be a moment of awakening and reckoning and change, but I don't think it happens on its own. I don't think it's just going to be an autopilot. It does demand leadership and articulation and people who can help connect the dots and help other people connect the dots. And that's why I love sports is that it has such a disproportionate influence as a category of the business world. People don't throw parades in a city if FedEx has a good earnings quarter, right? But if the Memphis Grizzlies win the NBA title, the city shuts down for at least a day, right? And all sorts of things happen. Sports is just a different place. So it is it is a perfect room for us to be in at sports to try to take on these really big structural challenges because it also has the power to reach people in a really powerful way. I mean, that's what we're using with eco-athletes. We're using the hashtag climate comeback because... We're in the fourth quarter on climate and environmental justice and all these other issues. 
but the game's not over. Now we need to make a comeback. And so, Kunal, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much, both for joining us today and for the work you're doing. And come back either on the pages of Green Sports Blog and Green Sports Pod. We will continue this conversation. Awesome. I appreciate you and all your advocacy and leadership on this, too. It's an honor to join you. Thank you, Kunal. I look forward to seeing Amazon and others take real climate action, with sports playing a key role. Climate Pledge Arena is an important early step in the right direction. I also look forward to Kunal's work as the moderator on Leveling the Playing Field, Sports and Climate Justice, a virtual panel that EcoAthletes is hosting on Wednesday, September 23rd at noon Eastern Time as part of Climate Week 2020. To register for this free event, go to climateweeknyc.org and search for Leveling the Playing Field. To reach Kunal and Lotus Advisory, check out lotusadvisory.com. And you can connect with Kunal on Twitter by going to at Kunal, that's K-U-N-A-L underscore merchant. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Green Sports Pod. You've been listening to Green Sports Pod, hosted by Lou Blaustein. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And head on over to greensportsblog.com, the source for news and commentary at the intersection of green and sports. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Green Sports Pod.